The following is brought to you in part by MFC Studios. The views of the show's host and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the management, owners, or staff of this radio station. And now, it came from the radio. Again, to it came from the radio, the official Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking. We are here live in front of a live studio audience. Yeah, oh, dead studio audience. At the East Middle Public Library for our 73rd live show, courtesy of the East Middle Public Library. And I am here with none other than senior correspondent Charlie Saladino. Hello, fun seekers. Oh man, Jenny Feldy. Hey. And our special guest who we're going to be talking to with and about, which is awesome because she's right here, is author and poet Naudi Suarez. Hello, hello. And as I just mentioned, we're going to be talking to Naudi in just a few minutes, but before we do any of that, we're going to take it away with the news. It's morphin' time! The news is brought to you in part by your fine folks of the Sci-Fi.Radio. That's Sci-Fi for your Wi-Fi. So all the fine folks of the official, uh, fine folks of the Big Apple Con, which we are the official radio show of, celebrating over 25, 6, 7, 8 years of complexness and pop culture stuff. For more information, go to www.bigapplecc.com. Their next convention is scheduled for December the 16th. It is the Big Apple Christmas Con. Tickets are on sale right now. Also want to give our shout outs to our Patreons, of which there are. Danny Grillo, award-winning director Jared Burrell, Kyle Horn, Millie Portez, Newsday Famous Reza Media, Unjikun, Shadow Rabbit Art, Yasmin Array, Rosa, and the Huracan. Want to have your own little shout-out? Go to our website, www.thecamefrenio.com, and you can get the little button on there. It takes you right to our Patreon page. Also want to give a special designated shout-out to Jordan Burrell. Uh, that's anybody who uh, got the option for my comic book, which is designated, which is also on the It Came From Radio site, about two warring alien races fighting over a newly discovered power source. The war finds its way to the planet Earth, and as a result, humans gain abilities. So now let's see. We're going to take away with the news. Uh, let's see. Uh, sad news... No, we have no sad news for this week. I forgot. No sad news for this week. So we're just going to go to the regular news. From the One Strike and You're Out Follow Department. As of today, which is October the 11th, we are on day 90 of the active strike. And that's still going on. As of yet, there have been no solid negotiations. Now, we just got over the uh, writer's strike, which went for, I believe, uh, 187 days, 140-something days. So now we're still going on with the active strike. They did say that once the writer's strike was over, the active strike was going to be as easily resolved. And we're still with the active strike. So, Alma and Jenny Feldy, as an actress, producer, um, and everything else, do you think... We're going to be continuing with the actor's strike, or do you think it's going to be over more quickly now that the writer's strike Holy is done? Oh, gosh, Mark. You asked the tough, card-hitting questions. I actually don't know. I actually really don't have an answer for this. I don't know what's going to happen. All right, fair enough. Charlie? It's, it's going to be over soon, Mark. You believe it's going to be over soon? I believe it's going to be over soon. And why is that? Well, being in the business and and seeing all the pieces of the puzzle sort of fitting and not fitting. Mm-hmm. I believe once the writer's strike was put into that piece, 
It's not going to take long for the actors to fall into that. Now, Nadi, what do you think? Uh, I think I agree with Charlie. Um, we can only be at this standstill for so long. I think writers and actors and everyone involved in the process is interested more so in uh, creating. So uh, that's going to be the deciding factor, and we'll move forward from this sooner rather than later. Right, fair enough. So moving on from the that's a lot of nuts department. The new Exorcist film has taken the number one spot in the domestic box office, pulling in $27.2 million in ticket sales in its first week of release, beating out the new Paw Patrol movie, which came out at number two with $11.7 million in its second week of release. For those of you keeping track, Barbie is still the highest grossing film of this year with $634.3 million, followed by Super Mario Bros. with $574.9 million. Of note, Barbie still sits at the 11th highest grossing movie of all time, needing another $19 million to make it to the top 10. Now, we've been tracking this for a while, and it's slowly it's making a million dollars, about a million dollars a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's pretty much, it's not going to get to the 10 position or higher. Mm-hmm. Elman Jenny Feldy believes it's going to be in single digits. Do you still have that belief? I said this about four weeks ago <laughs> that I think, eh, maybe we'll get to eight, definitely 10. I don't really know. And honestly, I don't really care. But, uh, I, I, yeah, I think it'll go to 10. Sure. Right. Uh, sure. The, 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 the money that other people are making is very important. So <laughs> let me weigh in. What about you, Nadi? Did you see Barbie? I saw Barbie. I loved it. Me too. Um, you think I it, saw Paw Patrol also. You saw you Paw like Patrol? <laughs> I liked it. Comparing the two, which was better? A Barbie. Barbie was better. What yeah. made Barbie better? Well, you know, all the social commentary in Barbie mm-hmm. uh, was intense. Like, a Paw Patrol is a film for children, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't as heavy. The topics being discussed weren't, you know... As controversial, it wasn't, it, you know, clips from Paw Patrol aren't all over social media causing, like, conflicts and Instagram comment arguments. <laughs> yeah. Did you see it by yourself, Paw Patrol? No, I have two nephews. Oh, okay. Yes, ten and three. Okay, all right. And, yeah, all right. they dragged me along. It Absolutely. wasn't my idea, I promise. Okay, fair I enough. adults would like it, right? Yes, I remember. It does touch upon a, a topic that's interesting, the... There was a character who felt like everyone around her was doubting her abilities because of her size and what she looked uh, like. Okay. Which is also very important social commentary, right? Yep. Sometimes who we are on the outside, sure. you know, can really lead your life in a in whatever direction. Yeah. Depending on who's around you, all that stuff matters. Mm-hmm. But uh, yep. Barbie definitely got more okay. more uh, attention. Did you cry? In Barbie? Yeah. A little. I actually cried. <laughs> a little and that's uh that's rare for me i think it, it was like a, a one tear but i definitely yeah. got you know teary-eyed it, it it hits you hard it you're referring to um I think the end the monologue i think it was sometimes towards the end and i took a kevin smith selfie of the crying because i know he does that mm. so i wanted to see what it felt like <laughs> it was weird it, yeah. it was an it was an important message for uh women to hear and for men to hear all the men have to go out and see Barbie. So, um, what was the message to you? Um, just how society portrays women and all the different challenges and pressures we have mm-hmm. to navigate through. You know, the uh, America Fer- Ferreira's monologue right. was most impactful for me, and she talks about how nothing you do, like you can't win. No matter how good you are at something, someone's always going to find fault 
and how, you know, women always feel like we have our backs against the wall. We have to be perfect. And there's no way to do life perfectly. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, and that's true for men, too. Hmm. I, I like there was also a very important message to men about, you know, doing work on themselves, mm-hmm. understanding their identity outside of the context of, of how they relate to women or anyone or anyone. Yeah. It's about going on that individual journey. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, heck, yeah, say it louder. Yeah. You know, I care yeah, about I men, like too. And, and um, they talk about men's mental health, which mm-hmm. is also a big deal. Thank God we're talking about that finally. So, yes, Barbie for the win. <laughs> That's my pick. Charlie, did you see Barbie? Then you have all those Jersey Shore idiots who completely, completely knock this all down. What? They knock the positive down. What do you mean? With, with their idiocy. What happens? I, can you quickly... He wants you to elaborate on that. What happened? Oh, the Jersey Shores. They're idiots. I've never watched it, but... There were a whole. Do you remember the Jersey Shore? But right? how does that relate to Barbie? Is this no? She's saying how positive the the message is, and I'm saying oh. that's right. I'm agreeing. Oh, oh. And I says, and and this would be great for our young people to hear. Oh. And then they turn on MTV. I see. I and they you. see all that idiocy. Got you. It went over with, my head. No, Sorry. no, that's that's all right. It's, I mean, I was they're like, all. And Jersey I said Shore. this on. I said this on the show before. They are all on those jerseys. They're dumber than sewer caps. Yeah. And so, the floor bound the short tip. Yeah, so anyway. So moving on, from the Gotta Catch Them All department, none other than Pokemon teamed up with the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands. Uh, the, exi- the exhibition was intended to encourage children and young people to explore the artistry of Van Gogh and the stories behind them, collecting clues and filling in a quiz as they go upon. Uh, upon completion, you will be awarded a free Van Gogh Pikachu card while supplies last. Apparently, this was meant for everyone and their mom flew down to the museum and overwhelmed the staff for the free cards, mm. only to in turn put them up for sale at exorbitant amounts. At not more than a day later, the cards have shown up on eBay for as high as $1,500. On top of that, there is video footage of a fight breaking out at the museum gift shop with people literally fighting over Pokemon merchandise as well as people standing outside the museum (laughs) offering to buy cards off existing patrons as soon as they step foot outside the building. How insane is that? So you have people coming in to try to have a, um, a family learning experience for Van Gogh. Right. They get a special card, and as they're leaving, people are literally standing outside. Hey, can I buy that off you? Can I buy that off you? How ridiculous is that? And there's yeah. fights. There, and there was fights. People wanted to grab all the free stuff just to sell it on eBay. Yes, sir. There you go. What are your thoughts? Well, you give people free stuff. A lot of times, I get free stuff. I try to monetize it. I, I mean, I, I mean, I first look usually look to see if I can give it to someone, and then I say no, I'll sell it. So, of course, it's gonna happen. What do you think, Nadine? Are you a Pokemon fan? I am a huge Pokemon fan. Would you go to Amsterdam to get? I would, but then I would what? keep it. I wouldn't sell it, and I wouldn't fight anyone for it. It's a 
like Jen said, whenever you give someone free stuff, these days you have to expect them to do something crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw all over the news a few, I think it was like two months ago, Union Square, the social media guy. Oh, with the, the PlayStation, giving, right? Yeah, who wanted to give oh, yeah. away like a PS5. And he started a riot right. in Union Square. I think a cop died. What? Like, yeah, like people went crazy. They started throwing chairs and oh assaulting God. each other. Someone died? Vandalizing businesses. I sh- it almost feels like you, you can't even give something away these days. What do you think, Charlie? Yeah. Are, you, are you a Pokemon fan? My uh, grandson is. Okay, Big so time. would you go to the Netherlands? To Only get- if <laughs> Pikachu cuts his ear off. So moving on. From the, uh, the numbers are in, and according to the Nielsen's rating, broadcast and cable TV dropped to a new low in July of this year, of 2023, in terms of total share among American viewers, dropping below 50% of total TV usage in the United States for the first time ever, with cable specifically falling below 30% for the first time. Meanwhile, streaming services like YouTube and Netflix accounted for a record 38.7% of total U.S. overall TV usage, increasing by 0.02% of the month, and usage among an audience under 18 was up by 4%. So make of that what you will. More people are watching streaming services, more people are turning off for TV, and I remember when cable was the enemy. Cable was the enemy because, well, actually, cable started off as the friend because you had the commercials, people didn't want to pay for commercials, everybody went to cable. Then everybody was like, cable is too expensive, so let's go to streaming services. And now streaming services are becoming cable, Mm -hmm. so now cable, nobody wants cable anymore, they want the streaming services, but it's all the same thing. And now the youth is watching more short-term stuff, more streaming services, and they're turning away from the TV. Mm -hmm. Now, senior correspondent Charlie Saladino, you remember when... They had the radio shows, and then they kind of just moved over to TV. Yeah, sure. Do you believe that we're now on the trend that eventually TV will be like radio and just like a novelty where streaming services yeah. will be the new Well, life? if they keep the programming up, they're feeding to the public. If they keep that up, yeah, because they have idiocy on TV. There's very few programs that are worthwhile watching now you got these reality bs <laughs> shows uh everything's a reality show which is all scripted and it's just pure garbage there's not enough they're just filling that up and leaving out good programming and and that's what's gonna happen tv is gonna go bye-bye and then it'll come back again in another form what do you think jen i think jersey shore sold one of charlie's time slots <laughs> <laughs> i think he sold no, them I'm, not, TV I'm not only talking about the dumb sewer caps i'm talking about i'm talking about uh the uh, survival shows the yeah. naked and afraid you yeah. know all that idiocy i'm going to give the devil yeah Right. So Charlie did mention that um, the the reality shows are scripted. They sort of are, but not really. But yes. they're not real in mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form. I, I think I mentioned this before. Um, my niece was approached. Mm-hmm. She's a professional dancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a cheerleader for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. And she had a dance group. And she was approached by some producers to make a reality series about her dance group. Mm-hmm. And they filmed uh, you know, the, the, the test pilot. And she said that the producers came up to her and said, we need you to have more drama, so can you have fights with your friends uh, for the yeah, show? Yeah. So obviously 
obviously it was never picked up, and obviously, but right. that's what they do. Yeah, and I've yeah. mentioned it before that I was on a court show, oh. and they tell you what to say. Really? For the court show, so it's it's all fake, it's wow. all unscripted. But if you think about it, because of the strike, that's what's being made. That's how things are becoming. Yeah. So there's going to be more of that. So, oh, yeah. Nowdy, do you also think that TV is on the way out? Do you think that the reality shows, what, do you, what are your thoughts? If, yeah. If you Here's where we're be- going, Nowdy. Tell us. <laughs> it relies yeah. on you. I do think uh, cable TV is on the way out. And uh, it's their own doing. Mm-hmm. It, it was because uh, a lot of it was because of the reality TV. You know, it's cheaper to make. Mm-hmm. People want to be on these shows for publicity to get their name out there, so they're not asking you for any money. Yep. You know, it it isn't heavily scripted, so you don't have a huge writers team that's tr- you know like working extremely hard to be creative. It, 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 you're just watching people make mistakes and do stupid stuff, so it is cheaper. But now they're paying for it because you go to Netflix. And there's all this intelligent, creative content that's mind-blowing and amazing. You're like, yeah, I'm going to watch Netflix. And you, next episode, next episode, next episode, you can watch like, as much of it as you want, whenever you want. Why would you go back to TV where your options are limited in so many ways? Yeah. And, and this episode has been brought to you by Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> and, and back in the day, in my day, we enjoyed TV. We stood there. There were... There were things called variety shows mm-hmm. where you had entertainment, the Ed Sullivan show, the first reality show in the world, Hand to Camera, which was mm-hmm. hysterical. Mm-hmm. And, and then you had shows like Lassie, you had, it, it was incredible what TV was putting out when it was young. And then it just went to all hell in a handbag. So I've mentioned this before. Hold on, hold on. I've mentioned this before. Um, we were. I went to the National Association of Theater Organizers um, when I was working for the movie theater uh, for ten years. And at that point, this is about let's say about eight nine years ago. The studios were trying to figure out how to circumnavigate the movie um, theaters because they want to get the product directly to the consumer. Now, as you know, back in the day, it was you had to watch must-see TV. You had to be there to watch it at this time. But they mm-hmm. felt that's not the best way to get eyes on the product. They want to get them to see it when they want it, how they want it, as they want it. So the fact that they kind of shot themselves in the foot because now they created a situation where people want stuff on demand and therefore will not want to go see stuff on TV because they don't want to wait for it. Mm-hmm. They want to see it all right now. Mm-hmm. And that's why certain streaming services are only releasing shows a little at a time because they realize that they can't keep up with the demand that they created. Yeah. So it's crazy how that all comes together. So we have uh, one last bit of news before we take a commercial break. Uh, from the, I think they should have added more water department. None other than Disney Parks and Resorts is being sued by Emma and Edward McGinnis for giving, quote, injurious wedgie, unquote, that resulted from riding a 214-foot water slide in Resorts Typhoon Lagoon at Water Park in Florida. According to court documents, the incident took place on October 14th, 19, uh, 2019, and alleges that Disney should have known the risks. Lawyer says, <clears throat> when a writer of the slide 
reached the bottom of the ride and traveled into a pool of water designed to stop further travel, the force of the water can push loose garments into a person's anatomy in an event known as a wedgie. Because of a woman's anatomy, <laughs> the risk of a painful wedgie is more common and more serious than it is for a man. Disney was negligent and breached its duties of reasonable care in failing to provide protective clothing, such as shorts for the slide, failing to warn Emma and other women of the risks and other design and safety failures. When Emma impacted the slide and the water at the bottom of her swimsuit was forced between her legs and was, quote, violently forced inside of her, unquote, she experienced severe internal pain and blood rushed from between her legs. She was taken to an ambulance at a local hospital and was later transported to another hospital to see a specialist for repair of, gyne of gynecological injuries and, quote, severe and permanent body injury, unquote, as well as impacts including mental anguish and lost earnings. So, where does the husband fit in all this? Well, once again, according to her documents, a second count of, quote, loss of consortium, quote, unquote, has been also filed. Lawyer says, quote, as a direct and proximate result of Disney's negligence, as is described above, Edward McGinnis has suffered a loss of his wife's care, comfort, consortium, support, and services. The plaintiffs are seeking damages exceeding $50,000, uh, exclusive of interest and costs for the court negligence. Thanks. Now, as women on the panel, we have two women here. Have you ever oh, been yeah. on a water slide? And have you ever been in any type of way, shape, or form, felt what they're saying happened to this poor woman? I have never experienced something so painful on a water slide, no. Okay. Have you? Jen? I've never experienced but I don't trust rides. Last time I went to Six Flags, actually it was today, last year, I want to say. I was walking around, and I walked around for three or four hours by myself editing videos and doing business on my phone while two guys did the rides. Because right. I do not trust the rides. And as iPhone or Autocrack would say, I do not duck with that. Okay. I do not duck with any rides. I don't trust it. Charlie, what do you, what do you got, Charlie, as, as a man? No, I've done splish splash. You've done splish splash. Have you done? Okay. The, the big one. That's okay. It. Where you, where you're almost off the slide going yep. down. Okay. Yeah. And when you hit, yeah, it's an experience, but nothing devastating. Well, you know, I, well, you know, nothing that they had to put warnings like, on, you know, so which this, would have been hysterical. I, uh, the way they had a word that. Right, right? with the, with the picture. and yeah. you got to be real so, careful with I've, your chastity belt. I've mentioned I've worked at a movie theater for 10 years, and we had a situation where we got a lawsuit. Okay. Um, I, was, I was working one day, and we had somebody come up to me and said that his friend had dislocated his knee. And I was like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. And I thought he was kidding because no. how do you dislocate yeah. your knee? And so I go into the theater. And it was it was playing a horror movie. I forget the name of the horror movie. And I walk down the aisle, and this kid is visibly in pain. Mm -hmm. And you can see his knee is, is really swollen. Oh, I, I'll never forget that image of seeing mm -hmm. his knee, how bad it was. So obviously he hurt himself. And I said, what happened? And he goes, well, I was watching this movie. I had my feet up on the seat in front of me. I jumped and I dislocated my knee. 
And I'm like, oh my god. So we called the uh, the cops and the ambulance and whatever. And the ambulance came and I talked to the cops and I said, well, what happened? And they thought it was funny because who would do that, right? So they take him away and whatever. About a couple of years later, we got notified that we're being sued by this person. Since I was there, I had to go to the court deposition. I had to actually go to trial. So I went to the court deposition. And we were in the deposition. And the kid comes in. And I, you know, this is years. So I'm like, he doesn't even look like who I remember. But he sits down and he tells his story about what happened. And he said at the deposition that there was soda and ice that he slipped uh, on which uh-huh. dislocated his knee and his story was and I'm getting up for our live studio audience um, that he got up and he turned around to walk out the aisle and as he turned around and was walking out he slipped on the ice and hit his knee on the armrest which dislocated his knee now based on the story that he gave he hit and dislocated the opposite knee mm. Then I remember him. Oh my God! Hurting. So I'm sitting there thinking, wasn't that the other knee? I remember seeing him. I remember seeing facing in this direction. So therefore, be this knee. Yeah. But he's saying he hurt the left Holy. knee. And I'm like, is that right? Maybe I don't remember. Obviously, he would remember more than I would. And so he gets his deposition, and our lawyer looks at the paperwork. He goes, um, and he dislocates his other knee. Wow. And then their lawyer goes. Uh, uh-oh. And he goes, uh, yes, he dislocated his other knee. And we're like, how could he not even realize that? So obviously it was, it was him trying to get some money. Yeah. And so he went to court. Failed. And it was a situation where they're trying to make the big evil corporation look like they were doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Where he was clearly lying. Wow. But he did hurt himself. There was the damage on his leg. Like... That part was true. So in this situation, while mind-blowing uh, that he went down, that this happened, she did go to the hospital. She was hospitalized. She has yeah. all these injuries. So on one hand, I'm thinking, how crazy is this for this one time to yeah. happen, like, of all the times? But on the other hand, she did hurt herself. She did get injured on their ride. So are they liable? Should they be liable? Or is this a situation where... They're trying to get more money out yeah. for none. Yeah. What do you think, Jen? Or maybe she had the injury beforehand, and then maybe it, like she felt a little so you something. Think she, it, something. It She's like, you know what? Let's just blame it all on them. So you think it got re like an injury? Yeah. It got re-aggravated. Yeah. This is also possible. And then it maybe worsened it. That's that's possible. Sure. Too. Now, yeah. what do you think? Well, the doctors can prove that. Right? The medical records can prove how how long she had the injury. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I was saying with the guy who dislocated his knee. Obviously, it wasn't his first time he dislocated yeah, his knee. Yeah, I'm not saying throw the money at her. Definitely uh, investigate the situation. It's a court case, so you have to provide evidence. But I want Disney to give her the money. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, what is They have so I much money they, to just uh, give her the money. Charlie? Yeah, what are they just going for? Fifty thousand dollars? Just fifty thousand dollars. Fifty thousand yes. for Disney? That's what <laughs> I'm you thinking. Can't go, re- go for the stars. So, Push upon a star. So basically, go. you want one of their nicest employee with a family to get fired, lose their fifty thousand dollars that they're probably making, and then they can give it to this woman with the broken. Yeah, no, you know who? No, I, I'm saying if it's Disney, get them. Go for all you can. Not a big Disney fan. Isn't going to put a dent in Disney. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like the hot water. Yeah, with the the McDonald's. McDonald's. Yes, yes. It's ridiculous. But if they're going to 
do something. Right. Fair enough. You know, if it wasn't Disney, I'd say, oh, yeah. Same. But you had to just go. go <laughs> yeah. My husband probably wouldn't want to sleep with her anyway. So. <laughs> That's terrible. Blame it on Disney. So yeah. we're at our halfway point. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right Are back we? with it came from the radio in front of our live studio audience. Yeah. yeah. Hi. You've heard my voice open and close the show. Now we want to hear your voice. If you have a business or product, you can record a commercial here. We offer 30 and 60 second spots. For more information, contact Mark at MFC underscore studios at hotmail.com. Hello, this is Carrie Hoskins. I play Sonya Blade in Mortal Kombat. You are listening to It Came From The Radio. Hey everybody, this is Todd McFarlane of the record-setting Spawn comic series. And if you're looking for any kind of cool conversation about creators, about entertainment, about all that good stuff, you go to It Came From The Radio. You're listening to the right spot. Hi, this is Tammy Stronach, um, best known for playing the childlike empress in The NeverEnding Story, an upcoming man and witch fantasy film. You are listening to It Came From The Radio. Hi, this is Suli from Face Off Season 2. You're listening to It Came From The Radio. Now, back to our show. And welcome back to It Came From The Radio, the official of the Big Apple Con, here on our 73rd live show in front of a live studio audience. Yeah! They're very excited to be here, courtesy of the East Meadow Public Library, where they have tons and tons of programming, um, most of which are free. Uh, for more information, go to www.eastmeadow.info. I am here with senior correspondent Charlie Saladino. Yeah, how you doing? <laughs> uh, Elman and Jenny just ran away from somewhere. I'm sure she'll be back in a second. And we have our special guest we're going to be talking to with and about, Miss Naudi Suarez. Hello. So, Naudi, um, I've known you for a while. Mm-hmm. And when I first met you, your brother was a comic book creator. Yes. And now, all of a sudden, you have your own book of poetry. I do. Were you jealous of your brother and you wanted to get in <laughs> on the publishing deal? Or how did this come to be? So my brother and I are very similar. We're both creatives. We both like visual art, and we love writing. His name is Juan, by the way. Check out his comic book. He's Conviction Comics. Um, and he inspired me. He inspired me. He, did, he definitely didn't make me jealous. Um, I am so happy about the success of my brother and sister, which I dedicated the book to, mm-hmm. as you know. <laughs> so when you decide to write a book of poetry um, from what I understand about poets, they usually have some type of deep-seated energy that comes from it it's not just something like, I'm just going to write some poems and make it rhyme and that's it it usually comes from a place that's deep within you, did you always have that in you and you decided that this particular time was that you're going to write the poetry or did you always have the poems and decide that this was the time to publish Oh, that is a two-part question. I will start with the first question. <laughs> yes, I do feel like I've always had it on the inside of me since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I think I remember writing my first poem when I was 12. Um, it was about my family, and it's always been about something that's close to the chest, you know? Poetry is very cathartic for me. So anything that inspires me or makes me feel anything, I have to write about it. That's how I process my thoughts and my emotions is through writing. So poetry lends itself very well to that. And why I decided to publish now, um, everyone keeps asking me that. I guess I just got over the fear. Um, a lot of the poems in the book I wrote 
2017, 18, 19. So it's, it's, it's like a compilation of work that I wrote over a long period of time. I, whenever I was brave enough to share it with people, they always said, why don't you publish this? And I, mm. after getting that question enough, I realized, you know, cause I'm standing in my own way, like a lot of us do. And, um, the pandemic gave me time to sit down, edit, iron it out and put, publish. So thanks COVID. <laughs> Jen, you have a question? Uh, I'll start off short, but not simple. In the intro, it's written, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Do you think that some people's prayers are more impactful or powerful than others? No. Uh, and I think uh, the reason why anyone would ask that question is how they define the word righteous. Okay. A lot of people think like uh, righteousness comes from us, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So um, I think uh, everybody's prayer is equally powerful. As long as it's genuine and coming from the depths of you, yeah, I think it's totally powerful and received. Even if you've sinned or killed or oh, especially if you've sinned, yeah, who hasn't sinned? Well, anybody who levels to it, anybody who anybody who prays has sinned. So yeah, that's not a fair question. That's I think a good answer. We're all big time sinners, and our <laughs> and our prayers are all big time powerful. All right, Charlie. Um. As a writer, and I, I find this because I've been like this as a kid. It was very, very um, creative. I could sit with nothing and and create a scenario, and I could play with animate things and make, make stories. Um, and very emotional and very compassionate. And this is a two-part is that that where this came from? Like, wh- you came... Obviously, did you have family full of love and everything like that? Uh, I... Yes, I would say my family was full of love. Right. So you were emotional. You were compassionate. You learned that. So now sitting down, and I'm talking about when you were young and soldering, sitting down, did you sort of just... Do this on your own, where you in your own little private world, and and started this creativity. Yes, I was always very introverted and inclined to being by myself. Uh, it's interesting. My parents always tell stories of when they would watch movies together as a family, and they'd be like, "Where's Naomi?" So they'd go to my room and ask me, "Do you want to join the family for movie time?" And I was like, "No." And I'm six, six, seven years old. No, I just want to be by myself. I remember spending a lot of time by myself just thinking. And I was very imaginative and creative. Just, uh, I, if I could put words to it now, I think I was just processing the world around me, events that had happened, how I was feeling. All of that happened in solitude. I'm still very much that little girl who likes yeah. to be alone and, yeah. and thinking. You gotta be. Now the next, next question is, did you ever get an idea for a poem and you just got that idea maybe you just got two lines and nothing else was coming and you walked away and maybe like weeks later you got the right you came back to it absolutely um i would say even years later Mm -hmm. yeah sometimes you get like amazing lines and you're like oh that's that's gonna be the the big seller uh i'm gonna publish that one and and you get stuck 
you know, as a writer, writer's block is such a real thing. Sometimes you can't, nothing else is coming out of you. Um, And I've learned to listen to myself and take my time. If it takes weeks or months or years, yeah, you revisit it. And you're... It'll, it'll pop back into your thoughts when your brain is ready to give you more. And you, you have enough respect for it not to force it. And, and you give it your patience. And, and that's, yeah. That's right. I, um, that is the typical writer's process. And I was talking about that with a friend last week. That's how most poems work and most writing works. Right. You put something down, you walk away, you come back, you add, you edit, you walk away, you come back, repeat, yeah. repeat until... You feel like it's done, although every writer knows you never feel like it's done, um, and you never feel like it's perfect, but you know what I mean. Yeah. There is one poem in the book where that didn't happen, and it's why it's one of my favorites. I remember I sat down one day, and I wrote this whole poem beginning to end, and it just flowed, and that's so rare. (laughs) I know. But it feels amazing, Mm -hmm. so... I, I, I still reread it. It's Alone. That's the name of the poem. I still reread it, and I'm like... It was like an outer body experience. I don't even think that was me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what wrote that poem. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, I I worked on a song. I have a I have a song. It took me seven years to write. Then one day I'm sitting in my apartment watching my daughter, and I looked at her, and I wrote a song in maybe ten minutes about her, and that's the same thing. That just meanwhile the other one was like seven years. So I know what you're saying. Yeah, and you wish it was always that way. Yeah. The 10 minutes, wow, I'm amazing. <laughs> but uh, it's so rare. I, I always think about how can we recreate that? But I think that's what's special about those pieces. It's like the spiritual yeah. part of art where you realize you should get out the way. It's almost like it has less to do with you and it's something bigger than you you don't even yeah. understand. And you're like, wow. I think that's also what creates a lot of respect towards your work because sometimes you look at it and you're like I don't even know yeah. if I'm that good <laughs> yeah it was, it's like it, like it was like somebody else was like whispering in my ear and stuff like that yeah and you just go with it yeah like, but yeah understand it well as you probably know many people right thousands of people think that a lot of written works and songs are not actually from the writer they're from ancestors, spirits. So what are your thoughts on channeled writings or the fact that someone in your family just in a way or, you know, just someone assigns you? What are your thoughts on some type of spirit coming through you? So I'm obviously no expert. I don't, you know, I can't sit here and say I understand Mm -hmm. the spiritual realm or the spiritual aspect of writing or anything. I don't think any of us can. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, human beings are spiritual beings and we have these experiences like I just shared with Charlie where where you're almost taken over by something mm-hmm. and I think a lot of artists have this experience whether you're a painter or a songwriter or you're playing an instrument where you're just flowing in this state mm-hmm. that you know is so unlike your normal state mm-hmm. um, and you kind of just go with it I I'm not sure what it is but I do know that I believe art is spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, the same way a lot of things are spiritual, right? Sex is spiritual. And, you know, prayer can be very spiritual. Mm-hmm. These things are spiritual. Art is spiritual that way, too. It's in that category, at least for me. So there is a part of it that sometimes it feels transcendent. And 
indescribable and powerful. And I think those are the works of art that inspire and move and shake, you know, you know, shape culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those things that are bigger than us. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I could personally relate with writing jokes. Sometimes I've woken up with like very detailed, strange jokes and they've gotten killer crazy laughs and I'm just like, what? Why would I wake up with this whole thing? And it, and it works. It really works. So I don't know. I, I don't know. Sometimes I think maybe I'm given the ideas. Perhaps. And I think it works because you're connecting to people. And and like I said, we are spiritual beings and we are connected on a plane that, you know, maybe we don't understand. Mm-hmm. But when you're able to connect with somebody, wow. Like that's where the power is. And I think sometimes that power is outside of us. Right. right. Well, yeah. If I have to pick an answer, I'll say, yes, I think so. <laughs> but who knows? Because the alternative is like, oh, well, I'm amazing, and it all just came from right here. <laughs> yeah, that's true, true. Oh, yeah, that is true. When people who write stories, they have usually years and years of backstories that never see the light of day. They have tons and tons of things that are just for the nuances of developing the character that never make it to the screen, never make it to the actual finished product. When you're writing poetry, how do you decide these poems will go into my book as opposed to these other poems? Mm. Or do they just all speak to you as a theme, like uh, they're all coming in? How much is not in that book that's in you that will never see the light of day or never be seen anyone else? There's a lot that's not in the book that I probably won't share. Um, Like I said, poetry is very cathartic for me. So there are some things that you're not ready to share. Mm-hmm. Other things just don't read like poetry. Mm-hmm. They're they're like your diary entry, and maybe everybody doesn't need to read that. Sometimes it doesn't come off as cool enough, <laughs> I guess. Um, but yeah, there are years of poetry behind this book. I remember when I was in high school, I would go home every day after school and write for at least six hours. Wow. So I was not a cool kid. No. Six hours, six hours six after hours, a school day? After school, six hours, oh eight hours, God. just writing. I enjoyed it. For me, that was play. Wow. And um, no one's ever going to read that, obviously. No one, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of grammatical errors. I would like errors. to read it. <laughs> I would probably rather read the stuff that you left out than Because I like the behind mm-hmm. the scenes usually more than the movie. So I would much rather see raw, real... But are you ready to share that stuff? It's important to hear that. Maybe I'll release the B-side. Yeah, think about it. Sides, poem, uh, book. People but, um, like real. They do. And my book is very real. It's still real. What you put out is still real. Yeah, it's oh, very it real. Yeah. It's very real. But I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have the thought in the back of my head of like, my parents are going to yeah. read it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know... Either way, it is very real. A lot of people read the book, reached out to me, and asked me like if if my mental health was okay. Oh my god! Yeah, they're like, "Are you are you sad?" And I'm like, "No, I'm good. I wrote this poem in 2019. <laughs> right, like, right. I'm happy." It's um, a good friend. It is a good friend uh, and family. Yes, I, I I've had a lot of support surrounding this book and just in life. So, so what is your litmus test for right. bringing out poems? <laughs> um. I read and reread and reread and reread, um, and I don't know. It's weird. It's like this internal compass that tells me whether or not I should share it or I 
For this book in particular, I was trying to tell a story. So the first 10 poems are telling a story, and then the, the last two poems are actually about a, a friend of mine who passed away during the pandemic. He, he died of coronavirus, and that's very, like, goodbye ending, closing the book. Mm-hmm. So with what I chose to include in the book, the litmus test was really, does this flow with the story I'm trying to tell? Um, and that's, that's a very clear, easy way, I think, to just, you know, tie a project together. Uh, moving forward, I, I'm not sure if that's going to be the strategy for what I'll decide to publish, but it, it made it easier with this book mm-hmm. when I kept that in mind. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to tell a story. Anything that's deviating from the storyline gets cut. So since the book was written digitally and it's on demand, did you have a page count that you have to think about? Or is it just, just, just make it whatever it is and that's what it's going to be? I made it whatever whatever it's going to be. Like I said, whatever whatever it took to tell the story. Hmm. And it was uh, this 20 poems. <laughs> I forgot how many poems I wrote. Um, yeah, uh, so I published it through through Amazon, and I don't. They don't have a uh, a cutoff. You can publish a, a book as short or as long as you want. So this is. I wish it would have been longer, actually. Really? Yeah, I I, I wanted it to be a little longer, but I cut a few poems. You actually asked me a question yes. about that. Yes, during a before the show began, I did ask about. There was a, a second or third part of a poem right. that didn't have the other part in it. I was like, did they mess up yeah. in the uh, printing of the book? And you said, yeah. So uh, Mark asked me if I if it, there was a typo in my book because there's a part three, but there's no part one or part two. Oh, yeah. I missed, I didn't say and he's like, where's the where are the other two parts of this poem? And I said, no, no. I <laughs> I decided that those I wasn't ready to share. Uh, going back to Marketing. Jen's, yeah, Jen's question. Uh, yeah, I'm not ready to share those two. Maybe one day I will be. Maybe if you guys show up to an open mic. <laughs> yeah. I'll do it. Yeah, you'd be fun in an open mic. Thank you. One of the differences I find, as we've been talking about, is that for a poem, for, a, for an author and a poet, it's more raw and emotional of putting yourself out there. With, when you're writing a story, you can hide behind the character, this is somebody I know, this is something I've dealt with, this is sort of kind of what really happened, but not really. With poetry, I find it's a very, um, you're peeling away one extra layer. Mm -hmm. How do you mentally prepare yourself for putting that out there? Because you're like, this is me, sort of, but it is me. Yeah, not sort of, like it is you. Um, Well, I mean, because you, even still, you just mentioned, you're filtering, you're still telling a story. But there is a, a one less layer as opposed to when you're watching a TV movie or, or a song or something else. You, it's you. You're putting yourself there. Yes. So um, I did expose myself. Uh, and that, that was the scariest part of publishing the book. Uh, it was the easiest part about writing the book because you're just getting, you're getting everything off your chest. But it's the scariest part of publishing the book because you read it and you realize... Oh no, now everybody's going to know, you know, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I've been through, who I am, my weaknesses. Mm. And that's, you know, that's scary. But it's also exciting. Uh, Like I said previously with Jen, it's those things that help you connect to others Mm -hmm. that make your art powerful. And I told myself, 
if I don't expose myself, I'm not going to connect with people as deeply as I want to. That, I think, is the most important thing. Like, you're exposing yourself, but people who are reading this book that are saying, yeah, I've got... That helps them more than you know, because people will go through things that you... They think they're the only ones. And when they find out there's somebody else who's going through that, so that can be the best part of what you do. Yeah. You reach other people. So, and I thought about this a lot. You know, the title of the book is uh, Blackbird, Poems About Sitting in the Dark. And in my introduction, I end it by saying, thank you for sitting with me in the dark. Because, you know, you're going to read about things that I struggled with, you know, in an isolated, dark place. But I, I reminded myself through the publishing process of the reality that we all go through dark places. Mm-hmm. You know, as a human being, you are going to experience loneliness, betrayal, heartbreak, depression, anxiety. You're nervous. That's all of us. And it's a lie that, that we tell ourselves, that I'm the only one going through this. That's not true. Um, and I and I want to be a voice that tells people, it's not true, I know it's not true. Thank you for sitting in the dark with me by reading this book. Let me sit in the dark with you. Yeah, a lot. I'll go for my longest one. So, say your name for me. Naldi. Okay, I just want to... So, Naldi Suarez. Okay. <laughs> my great-grandpa from the Philippines was Diego Suarez, and his daughter, my grandma, was Nettie Suarez. So maybe we're related. I see you dedicated your book to your proven relative. I'm not your proven relative yet. Erica. We're going to 23 and me this. Right, maybe. (laughs) For my beautiful sister Erica, whose patient eyes read the poems of a 12-year-old girl and declared she was a literary giant. Here's one step towards becoming who you've always believed I could be. Towards becoming who you've always believed I could be. So, you published the book. Do you feel like now you are who you've always believed you could be? (laughs) So I just it's who Erica always believed that right. could be. <laughs> right. Who she could believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. do I believe I am who Erica has always believed <laughs> yeah. I could be? Yeah. Um Yes. Yes. And why? Because I was brave and I did something that I wanted to do. And I think my sister, my best friend, the person I love the most. Aww. Um yeah. Um she's just always wanted me to be free and courageous and Hmm. I think that exposing myself this way and believing in myself enough to publish was courageous Mm -hmm. and was freeing so yeah I think I am who my sister always thought I could be winning yay (laughs) (laughs) one of the things uh, I know about you personally is that uh, you left the country for a while yes where did you go which which time the last the last time uh, the last time I went to South Korea. Wow. Now, did you take the poetry of you to South Korea as well, or did you leave that behind, and that's a different Naudi? No, no. Um, so, same Naudi that's been evolving through her experiences. I actually reference Korea in one of the poems, uh, I Run West. And the reason why it's titled I Run West is because usually when I run away from the country, which I've done more than once, I go west. I fly west and I live in Asia. That's where I hide. Wow. <laughs> Can't say the same. You got a last question? Uh, 
Sure. Okay. You wrote, time teaches you what books cannot. Love that. Going to quote you. On that note, would you ever date or mate with someone lacking five or ten years of learning that you have under your belt? Uh, like, would I date someone younger than yeah. me? Younger or, or young or younger in maturity? No, it's younger. Different things. Young, no, younger because the physical time has to be there. Okay, yeah, it's physical, physical time, time okay. not not trans. I, I identify as trans. <laughs> <laughs> um, ten years is a long time. Yeah. I just think about how much I've grown over the past ten years, mm-hmm. uh, and it's been a lot. But everybody is different, mm-hmm. so I would be open to dating. Anybody, no matter what age. Really? That's wait. Uh, uh, over, not in their twenties. <laughs> I think it also changes when you get older because you have all these experiences, and some people get stuck, mm-hmm. and they're like developmentally stunted, mm-hmm. and you can meet them at fifty, but they sure. think like they're thirty-two, sure. and you can meet somebody who's forty, who's been through so much, and they're these, and have done the internal work and the self-work, and are these fully actualized amazing people mm-hmm. and you're like yeah 40 I'll take you mm-hmm. um, I'll take you so no 20s what about 30 just turn 30 just turn 30 yeah I dated just that's basically 29 really, she, she has dated but did she enjoy I'm gonna say no, no. Yeah, is, it, is it a good idea to date someone in their 20s or 29 it's not a good idea to date somebody in their 20s unless right. you're also in your 20s and you're willing to go through the grunt work of growing up together, which yeah. is hard. Yeah. Uh, you're going to go through a lot of, like, big developmental milestones and building your finances and your careers, mm-hmm. and it's, it, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously easier to meet later down the line when you've squared a couple of things out. Uh, but it's on a case-by-case basis. You know, you can meet incredible 29-year-olds and terrible, you know, 65-year-olds. You never know what's going to happen out there. you got to be open. These are actually Amazon glasses, and I took notes, and I just I'll put you on eHarmony. <laughs> eHarmony. Yeah, you're now on eHarmony. I know exactly what you want. All right. I believe we have a question from the studio audience. Yes, sir. Uh, yes. I was wondering, I've been hearing so much about the book, and I was a little bit curious. Um, uh, would you mind exposing a little bit of it to us? Oh, you want to read? Wanna, uh, uh, yeah, read, read a passage. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. want to hear a little taste of this. Sure. Yeah, let's read, read something. We have uh, five minutes, so you can read uh, one Five one minutes. Part. All right. Uh, just read one. We still have more show to do because we have to do um, social media stuff, and we have to do the raffle. So. All right. I can read my favorite one. It's yeah. a little long. Yeah, let's go. Let's hear it. But already. Let's hear it for the live studio audience. Yeah. They seem a little excited to hear your story. I hope they're more excited after they listen. Alrighty. No pressure. Here we go. This one's called Alone. For you, I find the strength to strive in places where I tend to run and hide. For you, I find the courage to speak, to stay, to inhale the haze. For you, I compromise. For you, I lose some sleep. I tell you stories while I rub your feet. I keep dancing to your tune even when you miss a beat. For you, I court the hope you say you're bleeding. And you give me your backside while all of my insides are screaming, alone. I guess I'm home. I sit in the ache, swim in the lake of disappointment, open my eyes every morning to see a kingdom fallen. I hear the blackbird calling me back into dreams where even still I am unaccompanied. Looking for a god to heal these wounds, I search for the tall archer, the songbird, the angry snail. I said yes, I'd love you even if you grew a tail. Two cups of malt whiskey, one glass of white wine, cigarettes and lie after lie. 
There's a lie in every line, but the replies feed my pride when your angry words make me want to die. All these words fill the space where I used to moan before you left me alone. The king has been dethroned. I walk through the blueprints of the palace we almost built alone. And I'm so hollow, from laying brick with the enthusiasm of my hips, I used to think I could trust you. Hands open, heart open, hope on high. But you broke my fingers, still my heart lingered until it turned to stone. I cried, alone. Where are your arms they used to want for me? You used to love me, that much I know was real. Now it all lacks zeal. I still remember when the passion was authentic, when you meant it. The joy was true, I felt it. Where did it go? I want you to know this field won't grow if you beat your farm hand down. And you call me a clown, but you're the one that just. Yours is the worst kind of circus. Only the broken stay on purpose. I'm clinging to my chair, I'm gasping for air. I'm alone in the pain you inflict in my veins and in my bones. When affection is at bay, I feel the sharp stones cutting through the skin of my two hands, too small, to grip your soul. I clasp too tight. You slip through my fingers after twilight. Where do you go to? Where do you go? I want to know how you've mastered staying while making me feel so alone. There you go. I like that. Yeah. So what was the guy's name? Uh, yeah, right. Let's not. Uh, so social media time. So where can people find you? About more about you. Social media. Where can people find the book? Go. So I am on Instagram. It's Poesia Compass. All right. Spell that out. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's at P-O-E-S-I-A underscore C-O-N underscore P-A-Z. And where can people buy the book? Uh, Amazon.com. It's Blackbird, Poems About Sitting in the Dark by Naldi Suarez. All right, so we're almost out of time, so we have the raffle. You're so nice to give away a book, a signed copy, right? Are you going to sign it? Yeah, I'll sign it. All right, so yeah, everybody has their raffle. Pull it on out. Pull out the winner. See, we got a winner. All right. The winner number is... 370943. 370943. There we go. Yeah. I guess you can pop in just one second. Thank you very much. Um, so that is about it. So let's have a final thought. Do you have a final thought in the Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Jen, final thought? I appreciate your depth. Thank you. Charlie? I just enjoyed talking and listening to you so much. Get this, get this lady's book now. So we are out of time, but just to make sure our next live show, courtesy of the East Mall Public Library, will be next um, November 8th at 7 p.m. We'll have a voice actor, Mike Pollock, will be in person in the studio. So make sure you go to www.eastmall.info. Um, Naudi, thank you for coming down. Thank you, live studio audience. Yay! So that about does it for this week on the Came From Radio. Join us next time and every week on this radio station. If you miss any part of the show, go to our website, www.camefromradio.com. Listen to the archives in about a week or so, and we'll see you next time on It Came From The Radio. You've been listening to It Came From the Radio with Mark Torres. The views of the show's hosts and guests did not necessarily reflect that of the management, owners, or staff of the station. We now return you to your earthly scheduled broadcast.